0: If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 19. If you didn't bring your Bible today, but you've got your smartphone and it's uh, connected, you can go to com slash Zacchaeus. We're going to be talking about Zacchaeus today, and we're going to have a conversation about what true life change looks like. Uh, You know, I I see news stories, and I I got that alert just before I came out about uh, the shooting in Baton Rouge, and you know, our... Our government and our politicians and our prognosticators and our news channels and people on the street and Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds give us solutions to the issues at hand. And yet those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ realize the only solution that has any hope is life change that comes from an experience with Jesus. And today we're going to continue our series of talking about what it looks like to have your lives changed by Him. And so uh, we're going to do that today, talking about life change. And as we start, I, I want to talk about two approaches to life change. And I'm going to need some help from a couple of people to do that for me. And so um, I need a-, a couple of volunteers. Thank you, David Jackson. Appreciate that. And Ben York, I appreciate you. Uh, good job, Ben and-, and David. Y'all come on. Y'all come up, stand up here at the front. All right. I have these randomly selected balloons uh, that are orange and white in color. They just randomly appeared. Um, that way. All right. And so David, I'll give you the white balloon. All right. Okay. You get the, the orange balloon and here, here's what the task that the two of y'all have. All right. Is, uh, I need you. There's nothing funny in the balloons. It's just a balloon. Right. Okay. I need you to blow up the balloon and then start to, to hit it in the air. Okay. So go, like, go. All right. So blow it up. All right. And then uh, you got to tie it off. You know, you don't know how to tie a balloon. You you got that. Good, good. All right. All right. And then your job is to keep that balloon in the air for the rest of the sermons. And y'all can do that wherever, over here on the sides or whatever. So just, you know, start going. All right. And it's going to be a competition to see. uh, David, that's a very safe approach you're taking there. All right. You keep it in the air, floating in there. Now, I need one more volunteer uh, because we're going to have one more compete in this. All right, Josh, come on, Josh. And we're going to make, I, I let him start later because his is going to be more difficult. He's actually going to have two balloons he has to keep in the air for the entirety of the sermon. And so Josh, um, and they're big ones, I'm going to have to get them out here. And so here you go, Josh. Um, can you just uh, go down there and stand? And uh, can you uh, keep that in the air for the rest of the sermon there, all right? Now, which of these would you want to be? Josh, right? Our young, stop. That gets, it's done. <laughs> Okay, and please hand me the balloons because you're not going to listen if you don't, all right? (laughs) Especially you, Mr. York, all right? Look at that, That was pathetic right there, all right? Now, here's the thing, all right? That that little illustration, see, can you tell I've been preaching to kids for a week, right? Like we're doing object lessons, right? But here's the truth. A lot of people approach uh, spiritual life or change in their life like Ben and David. They take the balloon, they blow it up on their own, in their own power, with their own air, and then they try to keep it up as much as they can. And they hope that every once in a while, God give them a little prod and help them to keep up in the air. And some people even consider that part of my job is to kind of, you come on Sunday and I smack you around a little bit, (laughs) knock you around, like read your Bible more, pray more. That was a good one. Give more. And at my job, your Sunday school teacher's job, your small group's job, is just to keep doing it. But the problem is, at some point, it falls. Or you get really tired. Now, it's it's fun, you know, for a couple of minutes. Like, I started to do this by saying, see if the youth group could keep it up in the air during the sermon. But they would have too much fun with it for a short time, right? But then it becomes burdensome. And then you become somebody that is always thinking about how do you keep that balloon up. And you consider life change. So some people think, I'm like, man, this is, I really need to change this part of my life. I really got to do something about this. I got to have something to help with that. And so you start to work on, well, I'm going to change this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go here. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, and I'm going to go to church more. And I'm going to listen more. And I'm going to Sunday school more. And you start to just feel like you're trying to get hit all the time. And what's crazy is, in churches, sometimes the harder I hit on Sundays, the more people like it. Like, man, you really stepped on my toes today. You really gave it to us today, preacher. Really gave it to us. But that's not a way that God intends for us to have our lives changed. The alternative to blowing it up in our own air and knocking it up in the air all the time is just to allow ourselves to be filled with what God intends for us to be filled with. And it naturally gives us a life that continues to stay in the air. Luke chapter 19 shows us an example of a man who completely changed his way. Completely changed his way. And it happened in a moment. It happened in an instant. It happened almost as soon as you could say a word, he's changed. And it's not because of the effort he did, but because of what God did in his life. Now, Luke chapter 19, if I say the word Zacchaeus, what do you think of? Short, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a... We little man was he. Right. We know that from the story. And so sometimes when we read the story of Zacchaeus, we get this cute little roly poly image of Zacchaeus. Right. Like you want to pat him on the head like, oh, little Zacchaeus. And like he runs up ahead and climbs a tree. It's almost like like children love this story because it's almost like he's a child. But we have to realize that that's not really the place that is intended for this story in our scriptures. There I mean, are all kinds of jokes about Zacchaeus out there, all kinds of stories about Zacchaeus. Um, one of the greatest preachers of the 1800s a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Charles Spurgeon built a megachurch before megachurches were a thing. He would have 5,000 people listen to him on Sunday morning, standing room only, and then 5,000 on Sunday night, standing room only. He was the guy that was considered the prince of preachers, the greatest pastor, preacher of the last couple of hundred years by a lot of people. And in the midst of that, he started a pastor school. And what he would do on Fridays, he had this oak tree that he would call the question oak. And they would all gather around under there and he would ask them questions about stuff they had been learning or just random topics. And they had to respond to him. They could ask him questions. And occasionally he would say, and I need so-and-so to come up and go ahead and give us an, an extemporaneous, an impromptu sermon based on what you've been studying. And sometimes he would even give him a subject. And so the story goes that on one that this is a true story, that on one day they were under the oak tree and he looked at one of his students and he said, hey, I need you to give me an impromptu sermon on Zacchaeus. Come on up, give me a sermon on Zacchaeus. And the young man stood up in front of all of his peers and said, Zacchaeus was a man of small stature, so am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree, so am I. Zacchaeus came down so will I. And he sat down and Charles Spurgeon said one of the greatest sermons he's ever heard. It was short to the point. Some of you are hoping for a similar occasion today, right? It's not going to happen, all right? But we think of him as this short guy, you know, fun. we sing the song, we know the song. If you grew up in church, even if you didn't grow up in church, you know this, you may have heard the name Zacchaeus in that song. But we have to remember That Jesus' last encounter in the book of Luke with someone, his last personal encounter in the book of Luke before he does the triumphal entry and he enters into the week that would lead to his death is with Zacchaeus. This story holds a very serious place in the life of Jesus and in the account of Luke. All that remains from this point is the telling of the parable of the ten minas and then Jesus enters into Jerusalem for his last week. In fact, we, we can see in this story a summing up of Jesus' entire ministry to the point that the last verse of this story that we're going to look at today can serve as the purpose statement for all of Jesus' ministry, which is the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. It also has connections to two events that have come earlier in the book of Luke. Right before this is a man that was born blind that is is healed, and the man born blind is a diseased, poor man, and Jesus saves him. Zacchaeus is a rich, well-to-do man, and Jesus saves him. It's a contrast of people that Jesus came for all. Also, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we did our um, combined service, we talked about the rich young ruler. And do you remember at the end of that rich young ruler story, there's the whole story about his disciples asking him about the young man, and the guy walks away sad, and they're all disappointed. And he says it's easier for a rich man, actually it's easier for what, a camel to go through, the eye of a needle, than a rich man to enter heaven. And what you have at the last story, because Jesus, remember, says it's impossible for a rich man to enter heaven. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And so what you have in this story is right before he goes into the, the uh, triumphant entry, right before he goes into the week of his death, Jesus shows that even the rich can be saved. And you add to all that, he wasn't just a rich man, he was a hated rich man. And the eyes of his countrymen, his small stature was more than physical. They did not look well upon him. Some of the locals would have liked to see if they could pull him through the eye of a needle. In fact, C.S. Lewis says they would have liked to have seen him squeezed out in one long bloody thread from tail to snout through the eye of a needle. So we sometimes in kind of making this story palpable for children, Forget the seriousness of what's happening. Look at what it says here in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus, that's he, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now, tax collector is probably not one of those job titles that's going to be on the list of most popular job titles in America. In fact, I've heard that the IRS knows that the word tax collector has a bad kind of connotation. It has bad reputation. And so they changed the, the title of the tax collectors to tax policy compliance directors. That makes it sound better, doesn't it? Not really. It still makes it sound like the tax man's coming for years, Right. But we need to understand what was happening in Jericho because in Jericho they thought of tax collectors worse than we ever possibly could. So when Rome would take over a city, they would come in, and they obviously wanted to make money off the city. Why do you take over a city unless you want to make money off of it? And so they wanted to send people in to collect taxes, exorbitant taxes, so that the people could never rise up and do anything good in life. And so they send them in to do taxes. But the problem is that if we send in one of our guys, they're not going to know the people. They're not going to know where the money's stashed. And so they would have competition almost to hire a local guy and his job was to get people to give them the money. And so Rome would say to him, hey, I need this much money and whatever else you can get, you get and it's yours. And they would give him a small army to enforce his decrees. So they would go to the house and say, hey, man, we need 20 percent. The guy would bring out the money and the guy would go, I know you, you're my bud. You got more than that. See, these, these guys behind me, the soldiers, they don't know about what your dad's got over there, but I do. And you gave me 20% of what's here. I need 20% of what's there. And if you don't, well, the best outcome would be prison. Then we, we could take to, to severe punishment by beating. And then finally, if, if you don't, then we will put you to death. Now think about this. Those were their neighbors and their friends and their family. And they're now working for the Romans and they're extracting this money from them. It's hard to imagine somebody that would be liked less than Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief. In fact, that word is only used once in the entire New Testament and it's used right here. And it is tax collector with the king or first or top prefix put on it, meaning he was the top dog. He was the top of the pyramid scheme. Jewish people dislike tax collectors so much that in their Mishnah, which was just a group of writings that interpreted the Scripture, kind of like commentaries or Sunday school lessons today, they said that the tax collector was so hated that you did not have to consider them a person. And it was not a sin to lie to the tax collector because it wasn't a sin to lie to animals. Zacchaeus is the chief. Now let's think for Zacchaeus moment for a second. How much did Zacchaeus have to love money and position and prestige to sell out all of his countrymen? How much hold did it have on his heart for him to say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me, I just want the money. I don't care about my neighbors, I don't care about my family, I don't care about my friends. All I care about is I need to get this position and I need to make the money. This man is so possessed by his love of money That he is willing to lie, to cheat, to steal, to sell out his closest friends to get it. He was trying to see who Jesus was. But he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. So running ahead, he climbs up a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And he had be able to get through the crowd you see Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he right he's short now people don't usually mind short people standing in front of them all right now Steve this may be a little bit later down in the slides but I want to show you a picture from yesterday all right so yesterday we had a great event with Susan's family. This is Susan's dad. Some of you have met Dr. Jetty's preached here before. Dr. Jet turned 80 years old yesterday. Okay? Now some of you wonder where our boys get their height, okay? And you've met my mom and dad who are like 5 foot nothing and 5 foot 4, right? This is where they get their height, all right? And so you can imagine being a guy that's 5'10" on a good day with good shoes on, and you're standing among 626367 and then your sister-in-law wears like 12-inch heels here all right I and mean, literally i said you can't be doing that all right and so this was a it was a great day it was a great day we celebrated dr Jett's 80th birthday and uh, he is 80 going on 40 i mean he is going all over the place great man of god big influence on lots of people it's cool to get all these people kind of in the room But one of the things that happened yesterday was that we, when you do this, you take lots of pictures like this, right? You take lots of family pictures, lots of, hey, Lyle, we need you over here. Hey, where are the kids? Let's get the kids together. Here's this group of people that we haven't seen in a long time. Here, let's get all this together. Let's get around. We need a picture with your dad. We need a picture with, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And the first picture we took is a family with the kids yesterday, which we don't, don't, I don't know where it is. It's not here. We don't have it, right? But as it was going, as somebody was taking our picture, Eli comes and stands behind me. And my normal reaction is is, hey Eli, you need to get in front because you're one of the kids. And then I go, Oh. He's taller than us now. He will block everybody out, right? And so literally I'm like, Eli, you need to get in front because oh you're taller than me. Oh that's great. Appreciate that. Right? Like I didn't I didn't mind I didn't we didn't mind if Ava and Maddie and even Luke, who's going to be taller than us, right? If they're in front of us because they're shorter than us, so it doesn't matter. But Eli gets in front of me and It may be better for the picture, but I'm not in it, right? I'm blocked. So most people don't mind when short people are in front of them. All right, you can take the tall people off the screen. and I don't feel bad about how short I am. There you go. All right. So most people don't mind that. And so it should have been easy for Zacchaeus to get to the front because he's short. You ever thought about that? Like we were at Disneyland a couple of weeks ago watching the parade. I, I didn't mind if little kids were in front of me. Because I can still see over the top of him. So, it's like he's been short. shouldn't have been a hindrance to him seeing. What was a hindrance to him seeing is nobody liked him and would let him through. And he's trying to get through and he's getting elbowed there. Hip check. Get out of the way. Go away. We don't want you around here. We know who you are. There's a little side note for you. But I think it is important to think about this because we're going to see this a couple of times in this passage. Sometimes the biggest obstacle for people who are seeking God to finding Him is those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus getting in the way. Sometimes the biggest obstacle to people who need to find God that are seeking God, finding Him being able to see Him is those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus getting in the way. Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus. Now, I would love, I mean, this is one of those times when I would love if the Bible gave us a reason Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. I mean, he was a guy, obviously, that didn't care about his family and friends when he made the decision to go into tax collecting. We don't know if as he rose through the ranks, if there was this kind of something in his heart that was kind of like burning in his soul, like, I can't believe I'm doing this. How should I do I can't believe. Why would I do this? Why would I go down this path? We don't know if there was some longing there. We don't know if he would heard of his friend. They would have known each other, probably Levi, who had left tax collecting and gone and followed Jesus. we know him as Matthew. We don't know if there were rumors about what happened. We don't know if he thought, maybe I can get out of my life style that I'm in. Or if he's just curious, is this guy really who he says he is? When we get to heaven and we have the Zacchaeus panel discussion that day, I'm going to ask that question. We don't know. But what we know is he wanted to see him. And we look at that passage and we look at that verse and it says he ran ahead... And he climbed a tree. Those are two things that distinguished men of that day and age did not do. And we say that like that's still not a thing that distinguished men don't do. But distinguished men today don't run, just, just take off running, and climb trees. Now, if you're a tree climber, I'm sorry. But generally, that's not considered distinguished manly kind of behavior. Hey, I'm going to climb some trees, right? That, who, do, who climbs trees? Who climbs trees? Kids, right? And so he climbs a tree and he gets up to the top of the tree. Now a lot of people say it's interesting because they had sycamore tree. It just meant that he could have been able to hide pretty easily in there. It had long uh, limbs kind of spread out, it had lots of foliage, and so you could hide in there, hide in there. and he gets up into the top of the tree to get away from the followers to see Jesus. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus. Can you imagine Zacchaeus like in that moment? He probably almost fell out of the tree because he's trying to hide. And then Jesus, the whole star attraction, the superstar walks by and goes, Hey, Zacchaeus. And he's like, What? Huh? What? Hurry and come down because today I'm going to stay at your house. So Zacchaeus quickly, immediately came down, welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain, He's gone. He's gone to be the guest, to eat in the home, to lodge with a sinful man. Now, a couple of things. First of all, most of us, when we grew up um, reading this passage, it talked about going to eat supper, right? Like, I'm going to go eat supper at your house. I'm going to your house. I'm going to eat a meal. But the word in the original language gives the idea that Jesus was spending the night. Like, that's where he wanted to stay in Jericho. So it's not just a quick fast food, McDonald's, run through the drive through talk to your meal. This is your house is the house that I've chosen to stay in on my way to Jerusalem as I go through Jericho. Now come on down, Zacchaeus. Your house is where I'm staying. Go get ready for it. Now here's what I want to guarantee you. Zacchaeus did not have his house ready for Jesus to come stay there. Because that was not on his agenda. And there's a scandalous order that happens in this story because when you went to a house to share a meal or to stay the night with someone, it was a sign that you were friends with them. And not that you were friends just just friends with them, but that you endorsed everything they were about, that you agreed with everything they said. It was the kind of thing that said that this guy is okay, that I'm going to stay with him, he's my bud, he's my friend, and what he says is good. Jesus opens an invitation to Zacchaeus to spend the night with him before Zacchaeus cleans himself up. And to the Pharisees, they're like, what? That is not right. If Zacchaeus would have cleaned himself up, if Zacchaeus would have, as many of you know the end of this story, would have given his money back, if he would have said, I'm not going to be a tax collector anymore, then maybe Jesus could go eat with him. But to go eat with him before he does anything like that, before he cleans himself up, before he does anything about it, is scandalous. And he's teaching, in this moment with Zacchaeus, the difference between religion and the gospel. Because religion is, go clean yourself up, get yourself right, become a good boy, become a good girl, and then you can come to God for acceptance. The gospel of Jesus Christ, what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ, is he says, come to me and I'll give you the power to change what needs to be changed. Don't change to receive forgiveness, be forgiven to get the power to change. That's a significant difference. Every other major religion says clean yourself up, become acceptable to God, and then we'll accept you. Christianity, following Jesus, becoming a believer in Him says, you just believe and He'll do the work. And the Gospel, God's acceptance is not the reward for having cleaned up your life. It's the power to actually clean it up. And He says... Zacchaeus, I'm going to go stay with you. The next verse. But Zacchaeus stood there. So here's all these accusations. In that day and time, they would have eaten kind of an outdoor place. You would have been able to see around. And Zacchaeus stands up. He doesn't talk to the critics. He doesn't talk to the crowd. He talks to Jesus and said, Jesus, look, I have half my sessions. I'm going to give it to the poor. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, which the truth is, he'd extorted a lot of things from a lot of people. I'll pay him back four times as much. Today, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Salvation has come to this house. Religion points outward and says, Zacchaeus, go get cleaned up. Go do that and earn your salvation. But Jesus' gospel is salvation has already come. It's a free gift. And what you're doing is a response to what has already happened. Look at what happens here. He says, if I've extorted anybody, I'm going to give them back fourfold. The, The law said you only had to give them back 20%. Like what you stole plus 20%. He's going to give four times. There was only one situation in which you had to repay back all four times, and that was when you stole someone's cow. Because then you would have caused utter financial ruin. That's bad. I know it's bad. That's what happens when you preach to kids for a week. You tell bad jokes, all right? There's nothing in the Bible about giving away 50%. In fact, nowhere in this story does Jesus ask him to give anything. Did you notice that? Jesus says, just come down and let's go eat. And his life has changed. So what happened to Zacchaeus? Well, money no longer has a hold on him. He's been freed. He saw that Jesus loved him and money would never do that. He saw that Jesus forgave him and money could never forgive him. It could never fill the space only crafted for God in our soul. Jesus was establishing a kingdom that would last forever. Zodiacius knew his money could be gone in a moment. I read this week this quote. And it's just interesting to me. That for the richest people in the world, the smallest virus threatens to take away the greatest possessions. Jesus showed power over sickness Over the grave, he spoke and lame men walked. The blind saw and dead men came out of the graves. When Zacchaeus looked at it on a pure investment standard, Jesus offered more than what money ever could. He got a taste of it and it radically changed him. Three quick lessons I see from this passage of Scripture that I want us to kind of think about today and then then we're, we're done. First of all this, if you want radical change in your life, you have to first realize you need change. If you want radical change in your life, you first have to realize your need for change. Here's what I know about this passage, All right, That that money, power, position, had become an idol in the heart of Zacchaeus. Anytime anything in your life becomes more important to you than God, it has become an idol and it must be dealt with. Anytime anything in your life becomes more important to you than God, It has become an idol and it must be dealt with. Zacchaeus worshipped money. He worshipped power. He worshipped prestige. He was willing to steal. He was willing to lie. He was willing to become a traitor. He was willing to do his own people wrong in order to obtain that money. In fact, in 1 Timothy, it tells us that money is the root of all kinds of evil. And just listen to some of the things people will do. Maybe even you, for the gain of money. Some Cheat. cheats on your time card. Cheating on your taxes overspending you got to have a standard of living and so you go deep deep into debt and aren't able to fulfill other obligations you work more hours than you should work and the only reason you work more hours than you should work is because you want more money to be able to do more things and it becomes something that drives you you make bad decisions in life husbands and wives rip families out of community out of a good church move halfway across the country to a place where they don't have any of those things because it means it might be a little bit of a raise for their family You get eaten up with jealousy. You see people who have something and you want that thing. You refuse to give God the first fruits, the 10% of what you have. You refuse to be generous with your money. Chip Ingram says that a biblical vision for money is to be smart with it, to spend it carefully and track it, to be wise with it to save, and to be generous with it to give extravagantly. And if you're not doing those three things, it means money has a hold on your life that you do not intend for it to have. It did on Zacchaeus. And money is, by the way, talked about as the greatest source of idolatry in the New Testament. It's not the only source, though. For some of you, it's not the money that makes you overwork. It's the prestige. It's the position. It's the career track. It's the validation that you're doing a good job. For some of you, it's education, that you really value education above anything else. And you have to find out a way to get more and to do more and to make sure you do the absolute best at it. For some of you, it's your family, that you place your family above everything else in your life, even above your relationship with God. Whatever it is in your life that you place in value above God, it is an idol of your heart and it must be dealt with. And it will never be dealt with until you come to a place that you realize your need for change. I love the story of Zacchaeus because I don't know what what made him go find Jesus. I don't know what made him climb that tree to look for Jesus. But I know something in his life made him realize that everything was not all right. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what would be the the climb tree and the tree climbing thing for you. I don't know what it would be that make you climb a tree to say something's not right. Maybe the breakup of a family. It may be a business venture that goes bad. It may be a child making decisions that you would never approve of them making. It may be a collapse in some area of your life. It may be a physical crisis. But there has to come a moment when you realize your need for change. And then secondly, when Jesus calls, you respond. One of the things that you don't see in the English kind of um, translations of this is that if you look in the original language, when Jesus says, come down, we're going to eat, that Zacchaeus responds almost with the identical words of what he did. It's like Jesus said, come down, and then it's like Zacchaeus came down. Jesus said, let's go eat, and Zacchaeus said, let's go eat. Now here's why that's significant. When Jesus calls us, when Jesus asks us, when Jesus demands something from us, we don't get the option to edit his request. When Jesus says, this is what I need you to do, we don't get the option to say, hey, can I change this portion of it? Or, I really like that, but could we do it a little bit later? Or, you know what, Jesus, I like this part of the plan, like parts three three and six, three and five, I have a little concerns about. But I like one, two, four, I like that, but can, can we talk about three and five? Like, we don't get that option. When Jesus says, come down, let's go eat, Zacchaeus' only response is immediately to say, I'm coming down, we're going to eat. And what I want you to see is, when we respond, when Jesus calls, that life change, eternal life change can happen in a moment. It's at the heart of the gospel. It's called conversion. It's the idea that Jesus can change us from the inside out, absolutely, completely, without a doubt. And conversion still happens today. I read this week of some of the greatest kind of conversion stories of the last few hundred years. Like a guy like C. S. Lewis, I've already mentioned, I love, is one of my heroes, was a militant atheist, an Oxford professor who was also known to be someone that went as far away from the ethical nature of God as he could. He would argue that God did not exist, that God could not hold on us, and then it says in here in his writings that God snuck up on him, surprised him by joy, and he says dragged me kicking and screaming the most reluctant convert in all the world into the kingdom of God. He's a man that has written books that has literally influenced millions since. John Wesley, founder of one of the major denominations of our country, was a son of a minister. He was a missionary to Africa. He was a theological mind, but he was a complete failure in his life because he had never had a personal encounter with Jesus. And one day he said his heart was strangely warmed. He became a fountain of life and John Wesley was converted. There's a missionary named Frank Laubach who was in the Philippines and had a bitterness about him at the age of 45. Had a moment with the Lord and he invented a system of learning that has taught millions and millions in the world to read. Augustine was a monk with a mistress. That's a phrase you don't hear described, monks usually. He was a monk with a mistress who struggled with his soul and would pray this prayer under a tree. "O Lord, make me pure, but not yet. One day... God captured his heart. He had an experience with the living Lord and Augustine would eventually become Saint Augustine. Or William Booth, an unlikely rough cut man who over a hundred years ago says nobody in London cares about the poor, the drunks, or those winos. God got a hold of his heart and he invented something called the Salvation Army that has brought relief to millions since. Zacchaeus was a man who encountered God And it changed Him forever. Now You can go about it knocking it up in the air, blowing your own air in there, knocking it up in the air all you want to. It's going to frustrate you and wear you out. The only true life change comes from allowing God to change you from the inside out. Somebody wrote this. That in one afternoon, Jesus did more than 10,000 sermons could ever do. The Gospel does what thousands of sermons on generosity cannot do, on life change cannot do, On changing who you are cannot do. It changes your heart. It releases you from captivity. It allows you to love others. And it delights in seeing their needs met. And the gospel introduced to them. Zacchaeus didn't sit through a sermon. He soaked in the grace of Jesus. And it's a glimpse. In Zacchaeus story of what God has done for us. Zacchaeus deserved to be despised. Yet Jesus invited into fellowship at his own house. That's so what Jesus did for us. We deserve to be despised. God gives us grace. We deserve rejection. God gives us fellowship. Zacchaeus like climbed a tree because he was despised and nobody wanted him around. Jesus climbed a tree to die for my sins and for yours. Deuteronomy twenty one twenty three says, Cursed is everyone who has hung on a tree. Jesus' traded place with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus got the warmth of fellowship. Jesus got the scorn of derision. Zacchaeus got the joy. Jesus got the pain. And it is a microcosm of what happens when we accept the forgiveness that Jesus Christ gave us. We deserve the punishment. He took it. And here's the last thing and then we're done. Allow your life to show your Lord. Once he's converted, his life demonstrates who the Lord of his life is. The only way that his heart would ever give up all that money is to have it changed by the one who created him and who would die for him. He didn't hear a sermon series on generosity. He didn't hear a four-week discussion of being rich towards God. He didn't have all of the cute acrostics of the way that we want to give generously. He just had an experience with God and it changed him forever. Here's the truth. If I could, every Sunday morning give you in one minute, one sentence, a truly life-altering change with a meeting with God. If you could walk into this place and you would meet God Almighty here, you would have an encounter with Jesus, you would not need me to say a single word. When the gospel touches you, when Jesus touches you, you become full of grace, full of love, full of desire to spread the gospel to the nations. This past week, um, I got to preach the same sermons. I got to preach three or four of the same sermons twice to kids, and so um, one of those was the last day, the challenge as they left. And um, uh, the whole theme of the week at Center Kid was that uh, we were on an airplane and we were flying to destinations. We're learning about the armor of God, and the last day was that as you leave, as you depart the airplane and go to your destination, you need to go with boldness in telling people about Jesus. And so that was a crazy kind of thing. I was dressed up in, you know, like the guy on the uh, tarmac that's waving the plane in. I had the big things that you're, you, you're waving and the, the, the reflective vest and noise-canceling headphones. You ever tried to preach in noise-canceling headphones? You probably haven't. I hadn't either. It's not a fun experience. You can't hear anything, all right? And so I had them on, and so we're preaching that whole thing. And there was this, this thing, in, you know, they give you some ideas, some talking points in there. And one of them was about that. Um, As you go back, if you've had a good experience at camp, you ought to tell people about it because you had a good experience at camp. You want to tell people. And I I just told the story. I said, listen, if the things of God matter to you, you will talk about them. Like this statistic out there that tells me that 95% of believers have never actively led someone to Jesus Christ. That 90% of believers in churches today in America have never shared their faith with another person? Listen, the things that you love, the things that you care about, you tell people about it. And so I use illustration, and you, I, y'all know this, because I preach and I use them all the time. I, I love my kids. And when they do stuff, I want to tell people about it. Man, I love Eli. When Eli does something smart, when he does something at school, like I want to tell people about it. I want to share it. I love Luke. And when Luke says something funny or witty, I, I want to go and tell people like, man, you're not gonna believe what Luke said. I love Maddie, and when Maddie is is just full of life and wants to dance and sing and just be I want to tell people about it. I, I love Ava. Ava, when she I mean, she is a riot, and when she tells people things, like like when she tells me stuff, I, I want to share it with people because I love them. I was in Alabama preaching this camp, and so the other example I used was that I follow the greatest football team on the planet. And I love talking about the Tennessee Volunteers. And the beautiful thing about that, in a room full of Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia people, I had noise-canceling headphones on. I couldn't hear them. I said, sorry, can't hear. And if you're around me, that's something I'm going to talk about. Because I do care about it. As silly as it is, we're coming. This is the year. It's been the year for 18 years, but this is it. Like, like I talk about it. I love my wife. And I want to talk about how she's great to me and how blessed I am to have her. I love this church. And so when I go places, I want to talk about you. I want to tell people about you. And when Zacchaeus had an encounter with the living God, he didn't have to puff himself up and hit himself up to get him all jazzed up to talk about Jesus. It just naturally happens because he's changed your life. And if you have a reluctance to talk to people about Jesus, you need to check to see if your life has been changed by Jesus. Zacchaeus comes out. He didn't more than talk to people about Jesus. He gave away half his wealth. Now, you won't talk a building campaign. What if I came here and said, all of us, we're going to give 50% of what we own. I would have about three people here the next week. That's because Ava, Luke, and Maddie don't own anything. I mean, he's like, no, he ain't doing that, Pastor, right? 50% and then he says, what I cheated people out of, I'll give them four times. Zacchaeus went from the guy who was controlled by money to quite possibly the most generous person outside of Jesus, in the whole New Testament. In a moment. What do you need to happen? What needs to change in your life right now, here, today? For some of you, you're here and you've never accepted the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ. You're not a follower of his. You may not be clear about what all that means, but you know something in your life's got to change. There is only hope in Jesus. Scripture says there is no name under heaven by which men might be saved except the name of Jesus. And there are some of you in this room right now. I am confident of this. There are some of you in this room, whether you walked in thinking this or not, Uh, whether you know this to be true about you or if God's just kind of been pressing on your heart, there's some of you in this room that need to accept the forgiveness that comes through Jesus and be saved today. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. I'm going to stand down front. If that's you, (laughs) the call Jesus has on your life is not get down out of the tree and let's go eat supper. The call in Jesus' life for you right now is to get out in the aisle and go talk to Brother Lyle. There's some of you in this room that you've done that, you've asked Him, you've been saved, but you've never followed through in kind of the first step of obedience and the first step of obedience to, denari- to announcing to the world that you are a follower of Jesus Christ as baptism. Then you want to talk about that, you need to talk about that. You hadn't even thought about that, but all of a sudden I said it and now you're like, maybe I need to do that. I'll be down here, I'd love to talk to you. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. Now maybe for you it is money, maybe it's not money, but there's something that's got a hold of your heart. Career or family for education, or sports. And it's got a hold of your heart. And it means more to you than God. And you realize that now. And you just need to come down here and pray. You need to be in a place where you can talk to me or you can talk to someone else or just pray, God, I'm ready for you to be number one. Maybe for you, there's somebody in your life that you know you need to tell about Jesus And you've known about that for a while. And you just want to pray that God would give you the boldness this week to speak about the things you care about and to speak about Him. Let's pray together.